Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined by my confrere, Father Paul Marich. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our topic today is the Eucharistic Revival. This is an initiative by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops that we are currently in the middle of. So, Father Paul, why would the U.S. Council of Bishops decide that we need a Eucharistic Revival? So our bishops were looking at statistics that had been coming out in recent mm-hmm. years about people's faith in the Eucharist. And some of these right. are you know, some pretty scary statistics about, uh, it depends where you read, but a certain number of percentage of, of Catholics who either don't believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, or they may have a misunderstanding of right. this teaching. And the bishops were wondering, well, what could be done? to help the faithful you know, have a deeper understanding and then devotion to this right. great mystery of Jesus here in our midst, here in our churches, in every mm-hmm. tabernacle, all throughout the world. Right. Uh, and, and so it, it's an effort, you know, calling it a revival, seen as a way of helping us as Catholics to deepen our faith in the Eucharist, which for some, it might be a revelation, you know, of, uh, right. I never knew that, uh, that we had this great mystery. You know, you think of mm-hmm. the, uh, the story in the Old Testament of the finding of the law under King Josiah, and there was right. this, this sense of, uh, look at how wonderful this is, and we haven't been following it. So you could think of a comparison now under the new law in Christ that many people perhaps, perhaps you know, follow their own, just uh, right. with ignorance from... Uh, because of lack of catechesis or, or lack of understanding or lack of devotion, may not be aware of this great mystery. And so mm-hmm. the hope is that this time of revival can help Catholics grow deeper in their love and knowledge and understanding of Jesus in the Eucharist. And even for those who, are, who have a great love for the Eucharist, perhaps who go to daily Mass, who go to adoration regularly, who truly believe what the Church teaches on the Eucharist, there's always an area for growing deeper in that mm-hmm. love. We can all use a little Eucharistic revival in our lives. Right, right. and the church does, um, even in the universal church, will occasionally call for a special year devoted to right. a saint or one of the mysteries of the faith because right. the Holy Father, if it's the universal church, right. um, believes that it would really help the church because of particular problems facing the, the church universal or particular mm-hmm. needs of the people. Like recently, we had a year of St. Joseph. Right. You know? And uh, we did have the year of the Eucharist back in 2004, 2005. It was actually right. called by St. John Paul II. He died uh, during that year. Oh, wow. And then it was continued mm-hmm. by Pope Benedict. Uh, yeah. have, uh, so that was, and but that was, again, like you mentioned, on a more universal, universal level. level. Right. And so in a way, this has been 
uh, now we see, at least for the U.S., you know, not just local diocesan level, but among you know on the countrywide level for the U.S. being a nationwide uh, revival. Right, and it's interesting. It's notable that the bishops didn't think, well, we can just do like we'll have a year of the Eucharist. No, right. they're having three three year, years, three years of mm-hmm. Eucharistic revival. Right. And what are the different three years? So we've actually been in the Eucharistic revival already for the last year. It started mm-hmm. in June of 2022 on the Feast of uh, Corpus Christi, and that was the year of diocesan revival. So if people are, if any of our listeners are like, well, wait a minute, we've been in this for a year, why don't I know about this, or why haven't I heard much about it? That's probably because the it's the second year that may have the more... Uh, local impact you could say because that's the year of parish revival mm. and the the understanding the intention here was that the bishops in a way need to get uh, their diocese ready as a whole first and this mm. has been a way you know for dioceses to reflect upon how they can grow in a deeper love for the eucharist uh, how their priests can be uh, better formed and mm-hmm. in their understanding and love for the eucharist and then from that then Parish priests will be able to bring that into their into right. their individual parishes in this new year of this. It's really the second year of the revival, June of twenty of twenty twenty three, to next year of June of twenty twenty four, the year of parish revival, and then there's the final year, which is the year of going on mission, or so, or sometimes right. called the national year of mission. That after this time of revival on both the diocesan and the parish level, then the faithful are called to go out and to share. You know the fruits of that of that time of revival with with family, with friends, with those who don't mm. know the the. Right. Um, and you know, in a way, this is something that happens at every mass because when you think about it, at the end of every mass, the dismiss where we actually get the word mass itself, right. misa. Uh, right. It's it's in the dismissal, ita misa est, when the the faithful are dismissed. There's this sense of being sent, you know, right. that go, you are sent, or one is sent mm-hmm. to, uh, right. uh, to then proclaim the word, to be right. those witnesses of Christ. And, you know, for us as Dominican friars, of course, who is our great saint of the Eucharist? It's St. Thomas Aquinas, who right. wrote so much. He wrote the prayers for the Feast of Corpus Christi and, and uh, different Eucharistic hymns. And, and St. Thomas Aquinas has... Uh, a great line that uh, contemplary tradere alis tradere, you know, to contemplate and then share with others the fruits of that right. contemplation, contemplary alis tradere. So you could think of the Eucharistic revival this time on the diocesan and the parish level as a chance for the faithful to contemplate this great mystery mm-hmm. of our Lord in the Eucharist. And then there's that call to go out, to share right. what we have gained with the fruits of our contemplation uh, with others. Mm-hmm. Right, and I know um, on the diocesan level, mm-hmm. in our own diocese of Columbus, uh, um, Bishop Fernandez has uh, set dates for Eucharistic processions, right. which is something that maybe people haven't seen before. Or mm-hmm. If they have, it was a long time ago for right. some of our older listeners, perhaps. Right. Now, why, why would you do in this day and age a Eucharistic procession, a public procession through mm-hmm. the streets in such... 
a secular culture as we have. Because we need it more than ever. I mean, this is <laughs> bringing Jesus Christ, literally literally bringing Jesus Christ into the streets, his body and blood right. here in this, in this great sacrament, in the Blessed Sacrament. And that is really the tradition of the Eucharistic procession, you know, that's... that's uh, grows out of the feast of corpus christi uh that you know in many european cities many places still do this where mm-hmm. it's like a city-wide thing where mm-hmm. you know today like parish uh, corpus christi processions often may be like you know around the parish property or right. maybe just go a little bit into the streets but these would be uh historically um the cities would shut down for a, a wow. feast day and the eucharist is brought into uh, the streets, but it really goes to the incar. It's incarnational because mm-hmm. in our belief in the incarnation, are we? What do we profess? That our God became man. That He came right. to live among us. He dwelt among us. And here on this feast of Corpus Christi, and then with Eucharistic processions, you know, at other times of the year, if not just on the feast, we're showing that belief, and it's happening, you know, in sacrament in a sacramental way. That the body and blood of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament of the altar is literally brought into the streets just as Christ has come to us in his incarnation. Right. He has come to dwell among us. And it is a witness. And many you know, who participate, especially if you do have those processions that go into, say, city streets, you know, they're not just right. contained to you know, the parish property. It can be a powerful witness because then passers-by or, or, or people that's in stores or driving uh, driving past in their cars, there. What is this? You know, what's mm-hmm. uh, and so it becomes an invitation to evangelization. The, yeah, what is this? It, the, the question is, who is this? It's right. Jesus Christ. Right. When I was uh, when I was the uh, chaplain for the Catholic students at the University of Virginia mm-hmm. in Charlottesville, the students really wanted to do a Eucharistic procession through the campus, wow. through the grounds wow. of the university, and. I was a little reluctant at first, but I mm-hmm. said I checked into it and it says, "Yeah, we can do that." Right. You know, so we we got all the pro- appropriate permissions. It was amazing to see. You know, we we went through the grounds, of course, on the public walkways. Sure. But it was amazing to see. Some students were a little bit puzzled. Some right. people were a little bit wondering, "What is this?" But many people are actually rather they 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 didn't know exactly what was going on, but they knew this had something to do with God. Yes. They knew this had something to do with prayer i saw people take off you know young men take off their hats mm-hmm. you know or people to stop and, and and look and it was it was really beautiful i remember it was kind of like sort of towards the sunset it was a candlelight procession right. the students were singing of the way so it was like like wow it, it, it's something that yeah in the middle of your ordinary everyday life cool. suddenly wow there's 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 God there. What well, was it? Thomas Jefferson founded the university. He didn't want any uh, religious no, practice. Right. <laughs> well, he wasn't against religion per se. He didn't want any. He, most universities at the time no. were associated with one particular right. religious confession or another. But he so. he didn't want religion taught. But but two hundred years later, there you are there. Uh, <laughs> leading a Eucharistic procession right. on, on the yeah. on, on the ground. It was it was amazing to see. It was a, it was a really good. Really good effect. Now, obviously, yeah. not everyone's going to understand. There's right. going to be logistical difficulties, right. but it it can, like you said, with the incarnation. When Christ, mm-hmm. we sometimes don't think about this. We we sometimes have this idealized idea of Christ as mm-hmm. you know everything in around him was perfect until the crucifixion. But no, he 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 walked through the marketplaces. He mm-hmm. walked through people that had no idea who he was. Right. He walked, you know, all kinds of the noise and commotion and and and. Uh, and everything that mm-hmm. has to do with any any city or any any human right. place of living, right? 
And so the Eucharistic procession, in the way it, you know, brings God, you know, God incarnate in, mm-hmm. in the flesh and in His blood to, right. to, to the streets of the mm-hmm. world that really belongs to Him. Right. So, so in the diocesan level, we've seen uh, mm-hmm. we've seen an effort by our bishop to to have processions, and also among our Dominican friars, one you could say a program that's part of Eucharistic revival are what are known as National Eucharistic Preachers. And these are right. priests who have been specially commissioned to preach about the Eucharist. And uh, we have two right here at St. Patrick's, Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, who's the prior of our Dominican community, and Father Thomas Blau, who is known throughout the diocese with the Barnabas ministry. And they, uh, you know, what are the, the role of the Eucharistic Preachers is to go uh, really throughout the country, you know, right. to preach about the Eucharist. And you know, we've seen this with Father Hayes. He's done a lot of retreats for priests during this right. diocesan priest during this diocesan phase. Because what the the hope is that you know, on di- individual dioceses, by having these retreats on the Eucharist for priests, that's preparing them to then launch uh, programs for the revival in their individual parishes. You're listening to The Dominican Dimension, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined by Father Paul Marich, and we've been discussing the Eucharistic revival in the United States, um, initiated by the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops. And we've been speaking about how, uh, on the diocesan level, um, we've seen Eucharistic processions, and also uh, the bishops have commissioned, I think about, this is about 50 of them all together, right, right. Uh, Eucharistic preachers nationwide, yes. mm-hmm. uh, some more famous than others. I think Father Mike Schmitz is one of the mm-hmm. uh, national Eucharistic preachers, but mm-hmm. we have a number of Dominicans among their number. You but saying be- Father Hayes is not famous? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him I didn't think that he was famous. He's famous I, th- in I think Columbus. he is, I think he is famous. Especially in the Diocese of Columbus. Definitely, <laughs> especially of all things, related to anything Irish, he's right. very, very famous. Um, but the uh, the Eucharistic preachers are, um, yeah, as Father Paul was just saying, are really trying to help parishes and even dioceses and even the priests of, of a given diocese mm-hmm. um, revive their um, their love for the Eucharist and mm-hmm. and be able to hand on to their own parishioners and their mm-hmm. own people uh, this this great love for the Eucharist. Um, so the ne- the second stage, you, as Father Paul was saying, the first stage, the first year, was Corpus Christi, June 2022 to June 2023, the diocesan phase. Mm-hmm. The second phase, uh, June 2023 to June 2024, is the parish phase. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that parishes might do for the Eucharistic revival? Right, so a number of parishes, I think it's a chance for them to look at and see, you know, how are they in their love and devotion to the Eucharist? And you know, Saint John Paul II talks about in his encyclical, his last encyclical letter, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, mm-hmm. when you know, he talks about how some parishes, in some places, the practice of Eucharistic adoration had has just fallen out of place. Yeah, he calls right. it the, the, the shadows in the church where there's no adoration. And I think this is a key opportunity for um, for parishes to if if not to begin or at least to increase uh, their time for Eucharistic adoration uh, 
Right. Uh, because, uh, you know, what we have seen, you know, perhaps over the last, you know, 40 years or so has been an increase in perpetual adoration. You know, right. the, the, now uh, I know in a number of places uh, with, after COVID-19 that that took a big hit. Some of the perpetual adoration chapels, I know of parishes that they they never really got back to right. to being a full 24-hour mm-hmm. um, adoration chapel just because of not getting the volunteers or the adorers to come. So I think this is an opportunity for parishes to either, uh, if they've had perpetual adoration you know, in the past, mm-hmm. to, to try and get it reestablished again at, at full force. Or you know, it doesn't have to be perpetual adoration, but what about having time during the week set aside for the week uh, to to have adoration right. uh, maybe several days a week if not if not just like yeah. one day yeah a week and not every parish really has the number of people right to do 24/7 mm-hmm. i've known of one i've known of one place that at least they guaranteed that there would be a a perpetual adoration chapel and a deanery of each of that oh, diocese. Yeah. So oh, that, that's a good idea. That at least one parish. So had. regionally you have at least, and I think that's good too, yeah, right. that parishes, not every parish can really sustain perpetual adoration, mm-hmm. but it's the same Lord Jesus Christ right. at every adoration chapel. Right. So, and of know, course a deanery is like a, a subsection of a diocese. Right. It's like a territory within the diocese. Right. So, the, so that way if you're in the same deanery, you're more, uh, it's easier to access you know, a parish, maybe not your own parish, but someplace uh, nearby where you can go. I think there's also, you know, there's an aspect to do this also with catechesis, you know, because as I said earlier in our program, for some people, it's just a lack of, of catechesis, maybe during their right. upbringing, or um, they're just not aware of what is this great mystery. Right. Maybe they know something about the Eucharist uh, that... But they don't really have the the actual full teaching of the church. They right. don't understand that, and so this is really an opportunity for you know, clearing up any misconceptions. So this mm-hmm. is where catechesis is a big a big help, where we can right. have uh, parishes can have opportunities to learn more about the Eucharist. What this what mm-hmm. this mystery? Who this mystery is? It's Jesus Christ right. here in, in the Blessed Sacrament, and then for those who already have a strong faith in the Eucharist. Uh, to grow deep, uh, to grow deeper, you know, because right. I, we we always have, you know, uh, even for us priests, we can always grow deeper sure. in our love for the Eucharist and just having a, you know, a new insight uh, about this great mystery, perhaps that we never uh, thought of before, and that's where uh, increase for prayer, uh, increase for study, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can go a long way on the um, on the parish level, you know. I think also to helping parishioners draw deeper into the Mass, what is happening at right. every Mass. So, of course, adoration is something that, you know, is a fruit of the Mass. You know, that right. we start with that celebration of the Eucharist in the Holy Mass, and then from the Eucharist as consecrated there, we, we adore that, that, that Eucharist, the, the Blessed Sacrament. But, you know, this is the thing of, of the Eucharistic revival, the celebration of the Eucharist is the celebration uh, of the Mass, that this is the uh, source and summit of our faith, you know that Sunday Mass is, you know, really the the high point of our week. You know, this mm-hmm. is and this is the greatest worship we uh, could offer to God. And so I think this can be a, an opportunity for uh, for parishioners uh, and for parishes uh, to draw deeper into the mystery of the Mass. What we what we right. do celebrate every time we go to Mass. Yeah, I've often thought that um, when people ask me for. A, a guidance about what should they do to improve their 
prayer life or their mm -hmm. spiritual life, I often encourage them, well, first think about what's most central in our life already. Right. And instead of just adding lots of more things on to it, right. deepen what's already there. Right. You know, you already go to Mass. Why not deepen your understanding of the Mass by reading the readings ahead of time? Sure. Or, or the prayers or, or attending a talk or a presentation about the Eucharist or right. about the Mass. Um, we're looking at something on forms.org. Mm -hmm. you know, many parishes have that, right. the online resource. There's many things you can do to really kind of deepen your preparation for the Mass you know, um, there's some beautiful prayers, uh, you know, uh, in many missals uh, in prayer books to prepare yourself for Mass. Mm -hmm. Or there's, there's wonderful prayers to guide you through Thanksgiving after the Mass. Right. You know, so I think that can be a, a way to, in a very simple way, to just deepen your own celebration of the Eucharist sure. in your own life or in your own family. Right. You know, um, and, and to try to, because that's, yeah, if we if we just add on a lot of extra stuff in our spiritual life, we end up just with mm -hmm. a little bit. It's a little bit like have a room that's a little cluttered. You know, right. sometimes you just want the central focus to be even more beautiful, even more clear, right. even more highlighted in your life. And that's something you know. With well, we've talked about how these you know dasa priests have had opportunities at different, like with these retreats. You know that mm -hmm. like some of our own friars have have preached. You know that that's something that. Priests go are able to go to these retreats. They bring it back to their own parishes. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen on their own parishes? You know that will vary based on sure. the resources that are available. But then we could also think about what about for the individual Catholic? Right. And how can the Eucharistic revival have an impact on your life? And so, and again, it, it, you could look at some. You know, it doesn't have to be huge practices. It could be. You know, little little things, or, or just uh, taking the next step. So maybe you're already going to, to, you know, you're faithful and going to mass every Sunday. You know, maybe consider a daily mass during the week, just to have mm -hmm. that. Sure. You know, uh, if you, you know, if not more, um, you know, or if you haven't been to adoration before, it's been very limited. Maybe think about signing up for a holy right. hour if your parish has extended time of adoration, or, or even a half hour, and then you know, see if sure. you could could build up on that, or or maybe. You know, resolve during this year. I'm going to read a book about the Eucharist. You know, so sure. that you can break it up. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Uh, so, in the you know, with with the Eucharistic revival too, looking ahead, there's also in a way, uh, you know, you have this diocesan, the diocesan year, the parish year, but before that fit, that turn, you could say to mm -hmm. the mission in the third year, the July of 2024 to 2025 year. We're also going to have a National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis, and that's going to be held from July 17th to the 21st of 2024. And this is the hope. The goal is to get 80,000 people uh, for this long weekend wow. of, of uh, as part of the Eucharistic revival, really in a way that you could think of it as the launch into the mission year. Wow. Uh, so that, that the fruits born over the first two years can culminate in this gathering of, of Catholics uh, from all throughout mm -hmm. the country, and of course, you know there is a tradition of of Eucharistic congresses in, in right. the uh, in the church, where it would be be these gatherings of people around the Eucharist, you know, for several days, where there would be uh, uh, there would be several um, you know masses and times for adoration, and then and different you know uh, conferences on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So this isn't being called a Eucharistic. Uh, Congress, uh, or right. in the um, 
Well, it's not an international. I mean, you've had different international Eucharistic Congress. This is a right. national Eucharistic Congress, but it's really kept you know a, uh, a continuing a, a, a tradition, a practice that has been uh, a widely widely practiced in the church. So. Right, and and as such, it's a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. People it can is travel yeah. there. You can take time out of mm-hmm. your 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 life to to be with mm-hmm. many many other people. And there's also when we have a lot of people together, and I've seen that at World Youth Day before. Right. You know, right. there's a real sense of the universality of the church. You right. know, it's not just me and the people I know at my parish. Right. You know, in this case, it would be people from all over the country. Right. Who represent places all over the world. Did you know, Father Stephen? You know I'm a Cleveland sports fan. I don't know if I've made that known well enough in the, in the <laughs> I house. I think you've made it fairly but well. But did known. you know at the old Cleveland Stadium, for any of our listeners who remember the old ballpark on Lake Erie, the biggest event ever held there, it was not a Browns game, it was not an Indians game, it was a Eucharistic Congress back in the oh, 30s. Wow. <laughs> so we had the claim, the Eucharistic Congress had the claim over, wow. the, uh, over the old stadium. So. How many people came from? I know, the stadiums had 80,000, so it, it was wow. probably even into the hundreds of thousands. I'd have to look it up. That's but, amazing. So this, uh, the, the, this practice of the Eucharistic Congress is, uh, is a longstanding tradition, and we mm-hmm. hope that this one that's happening in Indianapolis next year can continue that tradition. So then after that Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis, the next year is going to be focused on, on mission, mission. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how we and, can bring this message to others. And you could think of the mission twofold. One of it is is that proclamation of the word, of bringing mm-hmm. others to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, of bringing others to a knowledge of this great mystery, but then also in increasing one's works of charity. You know, mm-hmm. that, the, that the Eucharist, you know, that the sacrament of charity, as, as, right. as it's called by... Uh, Pope Benedict XVI, as he articulated it, because it is Jesus himself, you know, love incarnate here in this Mm -hmm. sacrament. When we Mm -hmm. receive that sacrament, we're instilled with a greater share in the virtue of charity. So then out of that love for God, we're now inspired to go out and do works of charity for others. So that could be a way in the mission year to see, you know, how how are different things like you know, feeding the hungry or maybe helping, you know, helping the homeless or doing some type of, uh, of, of, of a corporate work of mercy, how that is inspired and born from one's mm, faith in, right. the, in the Holy Eucharist. Right. To hand on what we have received, as right. St. Thomas Aquinas would say. Right. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I've been joined by Father Paul Merich. Let's end with prayer, invoking the intercession of our holy founder, St. Dominic. O light light of the the church, church, teacher teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. This-